You're listening to the Sermon Podcast from Real Life on the Palouse, reaching the world for Jesus, one person at a time. My name is Logan Steinbaugh. I have the honor of serving here on staff uh, as our youth pastor. I have the amazing opportunity um, of serving with and teaching and being taught by uh, all of our 6th through 12th graders, which works really well because I'm kind of a big child myself. But uh, today, uh, I get to help us cap off our series, Someone Else's Shoes. And the idea, if you've been here for the last couple weeks, we've been going through this for, I think, like three months now, which is a long time. But if you've been with us for this whole time, uh, we've been walking through uh, the stories of different biblical figures in the Bible and kind of looking at life from their perspective and going, okay, what can we learn from this person that maybe we weren't paying attention to? What is God trying to reveal to us about how we're supposed to live our life based off of this person's story? And so today, I get the chance to cap us off before uh, next week's Easter service uh, by talking about a very well-known biblical, uh, biblical figure by the name of Mary Magdalene. But before we dive into that, I wanted to, I wanted to share something uh, with all of you guys that I got the chance to experience recently. Uh, this last weekend, my wife and I got the chance to travel up to Spokane for the bridal shower of one of my younger sisters. And my, I grew up in Spokane, and my whole family is from Spokane, extended and, and immediate. Most all of them are there. And we thought, oh my gosh, this is a great opportunity to go up and see the newest member of our family as well. Uh, See, about two months ago, my sister Ashley and her husband Matt gave birth to the very first next-generation kiddo in our family, and we were really excited. Um, It's been, he's been alive for about two months, and we've only gotten the chance to see him once, and as the first grandchild, my mom has been up there a ton, but we've only been up there the one time, and so we thought, you know what? Let's just kill two birds with one stone. The, The bridal shower is on Saturday. Let's go up on Friday, and we'll spend the night with Ashley and Matt, and we will just get the chance to love on our, on our new little nephew. So we killed two birds with one stone, headed up. Um, check out this photo. Uh, this is a photo. This is my brother-in-law, Matt, uh, and the little baby. Uh, I would like to introduce all of you to Theodore Rodney Graham. He's so cute. <laughs> Every time I see him, I'm just like, oh, I'm going to explode. You're so cute. Now, I am not going to lie, though. Uh, I did have mixed emotions when my sister told me that his name was going to be Theodore. Not because I don't like the name, but because his last name is Graham, which means his name is literally Teddy Graham. <laughs> yeah, I know. So in the future, I have, I have a feeling that it's either going to lead to some really killer inside jokes or maybe one or two many wedgies on the playground. Who knows? Well, time will tell. We'll, we'll see when we get there. Regardless, though, uh, we got the chance to go up there. Uh, We spent all day Friday hanging out with my sister and her husband, and we got to love on little Teddy. Uh, And the following morning, uh, my wife Emily and my sister um, got in the car, and they headed off to my other sister's bridal shower. And Matt and I were left to just kind of hold down the fort and watch Teddy. It was a dream come true. I just got to sit there and hang out with my, my beautiful little nephew all day. And Matt and I know each other pretty well, and so we had a lot to talk about. But I do remember there was this one specific moment where I asked Matt, like, hey, how have, how have things been? Like, how your life has changed a lot lately. What has that looked like? And I thought it was a pretty simple, straightforward question. And I was absolutely fascinated by what happens next. So I asked him this, and over the course of about 10 minutes, he, been, he begins to explain to me exactly how drastically different his life is from what it was even like six months ago. And as I kind of sat there and listened, I realized that when I first met this guy, he was just the guy who was dating my sister. He was, he was a nice guy. But before me now stood a recent father, a new homeowner, 
a capable husband and a man with a lot of responsibility. That much became more and more clear the later that we talked. Uh, From the financial cleanup of what it looks like to buy a house and have your first kid in the same year to trying to keep himself healthy for his new family and all the responsibilities that he had, Matt began to explain all of what I can only describe as the new stressors in his life that have been introduced over the last couple of weeks. Um, and at, from my perspective on the other side of the room, I was, I was thinking like, man, if I was in his shoes, I would be absolutely overwhelmed. I don't think there's any possible way that I could do right now where I am at in my point in life. I don't think I could do what he's doing. And as he talked, it's not like the things that he was explaining became any less large of magnitude, but as he was explaining the entire time, no matter how stressful the responsibility was or how big uh, the, the new task he had to tackle was, I noticed that he never once looked away from Teddy without this massive smile on his face as he looked at him. And I realized that as Matt was looking at Teddy, he was living in this constant state of bewilderment, of not fully knowing what he didn't yet know, if that makes sense. Yet at the same time, he was so full of passion and excitement over this one singular source of joy that had been placed in his life that he just got to sit there and look at and smile at. Eventually, my wife and my sister came home, and we hugged, and we said goodbye, and we hopped in the car, and we started the, the trek from Spokane back to Moscow. And I remember sitting in the car and having this moment uh, of thinking to myself and being kind of confused about the whole thing. I didn't know how to describe the odd mix of emotions that I had seen on Matt's face as he looked at Teddy. But I knew that there was something that I didn't quite understand. I, I kind of put the thought in the back of my mind and I chalked it up to the fact that, well, I don't have any kids yet. The closest I've ever come to having a child is all of the middle schoolers I hang out with every Sunday night and maybe my cat. That's about the closest I've ever come to having a child. And so I thought, you know what? It's probably something I don't understand, and I just kind of chalked it up to that. Yet as I prepared for today, and I started to look more and more into the life of this woman named Mary Magdalene, the more I saw what her perspective was and her story was as it's outlined in Scripture, the more things kind of started to click for me. And we find the way that this clicks smack dab in the middle of Mary's story, too. It's really beautiful. But before uh, we dive too deep into that, we first have to ask, who was Mary Magdalene? Who is this woman that we're talking about, right? And the question of who is Mary Magdalene might, you might think it's slightly easier to answer than it actually is. Uh, You might think that you know who she was when in actuality, the reality of who this person was often isn't even close to our perception of her, as it's kind of been repeated throughout history and throughout the centuries. And so I would venture to guess that for many of you, uh, Mary Magdalene, you think you know who she was. She was this broken woman who was picked up and shows up in very key moments throughout the ministry of Jesus. That's what I thought of Mary Magdalene as I kind of sat down in preparation for today. However, there are a lot of uh, long-standing myths about Mary Magdalene that we seem to hold as truth, or at the very least, we we burrow them into the back of our brains and we go, oh, maybe that's true, and we let it subtly affect the way that we view her in every single bit of scripture that she's in. And so I want to dispel some of these myths at the very beginning. The first one, and I find this one a little silly, is there is this very popular myth that Mary was the wife of Jesus. Uh, It's that... 
There is no scriptural basis for this. There is speculation throughout history. It's like uh, a lot of people think that it's like this long-standing church secret that Mary Magdalene was like the hush-hush wife of Jesus that he just never happened to mention. When in reality, uh, the reason that this is so popular is because of the hit book and movie, The Da Vinci Code. (laughs) So you can go ahead and take that one and probably just chuck it out, okay? So that's one very popular myth about Mary Magdalene. Uh, The other major myth about who Mary was is that she was a prostitute. And this one is very, very popular, I've noticed. Uh, It's kind of this long-held tradition that Mary Magdalene was this harlot that kind of got picked up out of the squalor that was the sin that she was living in and was brought into the light by Jesus. And that is a, a beautiful narrative, but again, it doesn't really hold a ton of truth in scripture. In fact, we tend to see uh, just the opposite of this, and there's one special little indicator that you can see that points to the opposite of this, and it's very simple. It's her name. Her name, Mary Magdalene. So, contrary to what you may think and what I, I thought for a very long time, her name isn't first name Mary, last name Magdalene. Rather, uh, her name would have been, or her title really, would have been Mary of Magdala. It's her, her first name followed by where she's from, like Logan of Moscow or Chuck of Chicago, whatever it is. That's, that's what her name really meant like. So uh, you see, Mary's from this cool little town in Galilee called Magdala. And so we have, I have this picture up here uh, for you guys. This is uh, an overhead view of the Sea of Galilee. And as you can see, uh, kind of in like the middle left over there, uh, next to the Israel area and Tiberias, on the left side, is the town of Magdala. And this is, this is kind of a big deal because as you go through the Gospels, you see that a massive chunk of Jesus' ministry takes place in this area. You can see kind of in the top middle, there's something called the Jesus Triangle, which is where a big chunk of his ministry took place right here in Galilee, really, really close to where Mary was from. And so uh, by being from Magdala, Mary most likely would have not been a prostitute, but rather she would have been a woman of wealth, a woman of means, a woman of resources. Uh, And it's because tons and tons of archaeological digs that have happened in, uh, in the site of ancient Magdala in recent years have kind of pointed to our current understanding of this place as a town. It was basically an enormous economic hub of wealth, and commerce. Uh, this place was booming, and it's for a, a very good reason, too. Uh, Magdala and its townspeople had seemingly mastered the art of uh, using salt to preserve fish. Uh, salt is a preservative, and they'd mastered this technique of um, making fish last for a very, very long time with salt. And you might, you might think to yourself, oh, salty fish, I've had that before, that's no big deal. Uh, But when salt is there and it keeps fish fresh in a world before refrigeration, that would have been worth its weight in gold, right? So Magdala has the one resource that next to no one else has in this area. And to put the icing on top of this money-making cake that was the town of Magdala, they were smack dab in the middle of this trade route called the Intercoastal Highway. So I have another picture for you guys. You can see here, this is just, this is a physical paper map that's been highlighted on, um, but you can see that little blue blob up at the top is the Sea of Galilee, and this is a much larger zoomed out area. 
And this pink highlighted route on the left here is known as the Intercoastal Highway. And thousands upon thousands of people, 365 days a year, would travel up and down this Intercoastal Highway. And you can see uh, kind of there in the middle, there's a couple forks in the road, and then up near the top in the pink, there's another large fork in the road. But right in the intersection of both of those forks of this major highway is where we find Magdala. This place had a resource and knowledge that no one else had, and they were in the absolute perfect spot to provide it. Um, Magdala was booming with money, and so as hundreds of thousands of people would have been traveling through this area, what better place to spend your hard-earned coinage on some useful resources than the beautiful, sunny town of Magdala? This is where Mary's from. This is where she's from, a town of wealth, and influence, and affluence. She's not Mary the prostitute. She's not Mary the unnamed wife. She's Mary the woman of means. And the very first time that we see Mary pop up in the text is in Luke 8. And where we, where we see her pop up, we actually learn a ton about her. So uh, you, if you have your Bibles, we're going to be in Luke 8 here in a second. It'll be up on the screen as well. But in Luke 8, starting in chapter 1, it says, After this, Jesus traveled about from one town and village to another, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom of God. The 12 were with him, and also some women who had been cured of evil spirits and diseases. Mary, called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had come out. Joanna, the wife of Chuzza, manager of Herod's household, Susanna, and many others. These women were helping to support them out of their own means. So this is the very first chronological reference that we see of Mary Magdalene in scripture. And uh, it specifically mentions that Mary and a couple other women are supporting Jesus's ministry and his activities seemingly out of their own pockets. They're the ones that are kind of supporting this. This is who Mary Magdalene was. And it's important to know that. And it's good to have historical context, and now we know a little bit about where she was from and what, what resources she would have had. We've got good historical context on Mary, but now you have to ask the question, okay, but who was she? What was this woman like? What was Mary Magdalene like as a person, right? And it's important to ask this because it's one thing that has always been a big pet peeve of me in, in the modern American Christian world is we kind of pretend like all of these biblical characters are just that, characters, like people in plays that have been written specifically to enter at this exact moment. Mary, Mary, Mary may have been introduced in Luke 8, but she didn't just start existing when she was called in from stage left and is like, oh, I'm here for my scene. Mary was a person. She would have had a full life before she entered into Luke 8, she would have had hopes and dreams, fears and joy, pain and happiness. She would have lived an entire life before Jesus was like, and I can't help but wonder, what was that like? What was Mary's life like? What kind of person was she? And while there is a good chance, since she's from Magdala and because of what we see here in Luke 8, that she was a woman of wealth, having wealth and having resources does not make a simple and easy life. She would have had problems and struggles all her own, just like everyone else. The very first major uh, issue and struggle that would have faced her um, is kind of staring us straight in the face. It's the fact that she was a woman. In a time, she was born as as a woman in a time that was not built or designed for a woman's success or comfort. Simply because she was not a man, she would have been viewed as a second class 
citizen. A really small example that kind of shows this, in the time that we find Mary, she wouldn't even be able to be considered a reliable witness in a trial just because of her gender, just because she's a woman. Everything she said could be thrown out in court because, well, of course, that's not trustworthy, right? Just because she's a woman, she already has a million obstacles she has to try and overcome. And on top of it all, we see in Luke 8 that she's inflicted with seven, count them, seven different demons. And this isn't like metaphorical demons of mental health and depression and anxiety. The text outlines pretty clearly that these are seven literal demons, spiritual forces that would have been fracturing her psyche, trying to burrow their way into her soul. Mary's life would have been all over the place. But then, in the midst of her frustrations and her struggles and her hurt, Jesus would have entered into the scene. And if his invitation to follow her was anything like his invitations for the other disciples, then his presence showing up in that exact circumstance of her life would have been a lot like a cool drink of water in the very, very dry desert that was her life. Mary would have had her afflictions lifted, her demons removed, her life given purpose beyond what was in her checking account. She would have had a whole new lease on life. And as much as maybe movies and televisions maybe make us want, maybe want to make us think, Mary Magdalene doesn't actually show up in scripture that much outside of where she's first introduced in Luke 8 and much later in Jesus's ministry. But we do know because of how early she's introduced and the fact that she's mentioned at the very end, we know very confidently that Mary would have been there every step of the way throughout Jesus' ministry. Every amazing feat that he does in the gospels, every miracle that he did, she would have been there. And oh my goodness, the miracles that Mary would have seen. Just some of the things that Mary would have seen as she followed this Messiah that showed her new life. She would have seen not only her own demons removed and taken from her, but she would have seen a ton of other people had the same done, had demons removed out of them and had their life given new purpose. She would have seen the feeding of more people than she had ever seen in one spot being fed by Jesus with next to nothing in his hands. She would have seen countless messages, untold parables. She would have seen him dining with sinners and murderers and tax collectors and welcoming them as his brothers and his sisters. She would have seen him trumping over the hypocritical religious leaders of that time in full-on verbal combat. She would have seen him heal lepers, give sight to the blind, heal people from the dead. Mary would have been there for all of that, for every single aspect of Jesus' ministry. And day by day, the awe that she had for the Son of God that met her in her brokenness would have gotten deeper and deeper. But eventually, where we see Mary pop up next in Scripture isn't as cheery as maybe some of the things that she got to see throughout Jesus' ministry. At least three of the four Gospels mention Mary by name at the crucifixion of Jesus, with the last one of the Gospels mentioning that uh, the group of women that Mary would have been a part of were there. We can say with absolute confidence that Mary was there at the crucifixion of Jesus. We see her uh, recorded, specifically in the Matthew account in chapter 27, 
Uh, It says, many women were there watching from a distance. They had followed Jesus from Galilee, remember the starting place of this whole thing, to care for his needs. Among them were Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James and Joseph, and the mother of Zebedee's sons. And the Savior that had redeemed her and spoken life into her was there hanging on a cross, put there by the very men that he had come to try and bring salvation to. And I can really only imagine, what did the following few days look like for Mary? What did the Saturday after the crucifixion look like for Mary Magdalene? She would have been walking around in a fog of confusion and mourning and despair. And at the same time, this would have been mixed with the astonishment of everything that she had seen Jesus do in her time with him. And several of the gospel accounts record a specific moment where Mary goes and does exactly what you do when you're mourning someone that you love. You go to their resting place and you try and make sense of what's happened. So Mary goes to the tomb of Jesus, but what she finds there is a little bit different than what she's expecting. We jump forward one chapter in Matthew 28. uh, As we read, it says, After the Sabbath, at dawn on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to look at the tomb. There was a violent earthquake, for an angel of the Lord came down from heaven and going to the tomb, rolled the stone back and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothes were white as snow. The guards were so afraid of him that they shook and became like dead men. The angel said to the women, do not be afraid, for I know that you are looking for Jesus who was crucified. He is not here. He is risen, just as he said. Come and see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples, he has risen from the dead and is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him. Now I have told you. And in verse eight, this is one of my favorite bits. So the women hurried away from the tomb, afraid yet filled with joy and ran to tell his disciples. And as I read this, and I read this a lot of times, I kept going over it. I was confused by something that I found contradictory. How can you be afraid yet filled with joy at the same time? Fear and joy seem like they're on opposite ends of the emotional spectrum. And the more I kept going through this, I was like, maybe I'm, maybe I'm missing something. But the more I went through it, the more I realized, no, I'm, I'm not missing something. In fact, if you, if you dive into the Greek that this text was written and the word that's used there for fear implies uh, specifically a fear due to an inadequate feeling of not being uh, prepared or having the resources for the specific moment of time that you're in. And the word for joy implies happiness specifically due to an awareness of God's grace and favor in your life. And this isn't, this isn't the only time that this weird contradictory uh, statement of two different emotions pops up in this account. It's mentioned again, uh, very similar phrasing in the Gospel of Mark. Uh, we see in chapter 16, it says, trembling and bewildered, the women went out and fled from the tomb. They said nothing to anyone because they were afraid. And that's, that's the same thing that we see in the Matthew account. The words for trembling and bewildered imply the exact same thing that Mary would have experienced in the book of Matthew. She is massively overwhelmed by the magnitude of what she is experiencing, yet at the same time, she is overcome with astonishment at who, and elation over who she knows that Jesus is and who he's going to continue to be. 
And the more I thought about this odd sensation we see here in the account of Mary finding Jesus' empty tomb, this account of being afraid and yet filled with joy, the more it slowly started to click for me. Because I realized as I was going through this, I've seen this before. I've seen this exact same concept in the eyes of my brother-in-law as he sat there and looked at his newborn baby where I was once left wondering about that smile on his face as he described what to me sounded like untold amounts of stressors and responsibilities, it now made total sense in light of Mary's story. And so as we walk a mile in the shoes of this woman named Mary Magdalene, we have to stop and acknowledge the wonder that she felt in Jesus' presence. Just like I saw in my conversation with my brother-in-law, Mary was living in this tension where she was in the throes of an experience that was far too large for her to understand. And yeah, that brought an element of fear with it. But that unknown factor also brought a small bit, maybe a large bit, of joy. Because as Mary Magdalene ran away from the tomb to go tell the disciples, she just can't stop smiling. And I can't think of a better word to describe this phenomenon than that one I just used a second ago, wonder. I love the definition of it. Uh, The word wonder means a feeling of surprise mingled with admiration caused by something beautiful, unexpected, unfamiliar, and inexplicable. And I don't know about you, but I can't think of a better word to describe what Mary felt in this moment. When we look at the life of Mary Magdalene, we see a lot of different things. We see a woman breaking from her societal mold and joining this movement of biblical proportions. Uh, We see this incorrectly categorized individual who is mostly known for something that she didn't even actually do. We see uh, a sinner who was healed and due to what she experienced, she threw her loyalties and her diligence in with the one who healed her. Mary is every single one of these things. But the beauty of Mary Magdalene does not lie solely in any of these traits. Rather, they lie in her unabashed wonder at the God that deserves both our astonishment and our praise. Mary left the tomb afraid, yet filled with joy because she had a wonder inside of her that can only be fueled by the God of the universe made flesh who came down to visit us and be with us and walk among us. Mary was a lot of things, but from what I see, she was a disciple that lived in constant wonder of who Jesus is and was and will continue to be today. And that's beautiful. The only major issue that I see with that is that I continue to go through this, I thought, yeah, That totally makes sense for Mary to respond that way. That seems like the only reasonable response to the magnitude that is God. And the more I looked at it, the more I realized, I think we may have lost some of that. I think that some of us along the way may have lost the wonder that we experienced when we first met Jesus and he stepped into our lives. I don't know about you, but as I was going through Mary's story, I was deeply and wholly convicted at something that I realized I no longer had anymore. Because I realized that I lost the wonder that I once had for Jesus. And I I don't think I'm alone in that. I have a feeling that for a lot of us, Jesus isn't the Lord and Savior in our lives that we claim for him to be, but rather he's just a box on a list of religions that we check out on a form. 
When I look at my life honestly and the impact that Jesus has on my day-to-day life, it's more like he's just an afterthought in a day that I've already planned out and already plan on not changing. I walk around every day breathing breath that I didn't pay for in lungs that I have on rent from the creator of the universe, and I have the audacity to not stand in constant wonder of who he is? If you walked in here today and you've forgotten who God is, I want to take a moment to remind you. The God that we serve, he is the one who brought creation into form with nothing, of his, with nothing but his word, yet he's still the one who cares about the creation no matter how small it is in comparison to him. He's the one who keeps the stars and the planets in their place and they obey him and yet he still reaches down to show you specifically where your place is in his heart. He's the one who shapes the world and keeps it functioning yet in his busyness decided to step down into the form of a man and show us how much he loves us in one of the only ways I think we could really fully understand. When I look at Jesus and his presence in our lives, we should be afraid yet filled with joy, trembling and bewilderment, full of wonder. If you came in here today expecting just a nice church message before your maybe delicious Sunday brunch, but you realize that it's been a long time since you stood in wonder of the God that we worship, then I ask that you pay attention. If you feel like you've lost the wonder of God in your life, I do. I have two specific words of encouragement for you, and they come specifically from the life of Mary Magdalene. The first is really simple. It's, it's the idea that when Mary discovered Jesus, the wonder that she experienced in his present became the center focal point of her life. Everything she did, every word she said, every thought that she thought went into and overflowed out of that experience that she had with Jesus. And it's time to start asking yourself, are you doing the same? When that person cuts you off in traffic or the coffee shop gets your order wrong again or that relationship that you once had that is in broken and shattered pieces on the ground because you stubbornly choose to not pick it up. These things do matter. I'm not saying that they don't. But they become a lot easier to deal with and to overcome when you live your life constantly focused on Jesus and the wonder that he produces in your life. And the second one's a little bit more abstract, but way simpler. And Mary was really good at this. Get good at living in the tension. It said that Mary left afraid yet filled with joy. It wasn't that she was afraid and then stayed afraid and then later on she felt some joy. It happened at the same time. And that means that when hardships come and the storms come on to your life and you don't know how you're going to be able to overcome that, it doesn't mean that the joy that you have in Christ gets thrown out the window. Rather, it means that it becomes the rudder that helps to navigate you through the storm. And if you let it, focusing on the wonder that you have in Jesus is going to get you through any tension that you're going to find yourself in, easy or difficult. So if you feel like you may have lost some of the wonder, then I have a really good place for you to start. It's the book of Psalms. Uh, I've always said that there is a psalm for every single emotion that you could possibly feel. Anger, happiness, frustration, pain. Wonder is no different. So I wanted to share this psalm with you that I think perfectly encapsulates this idea that we're looking at today. And it's Psalm 65, starting in verse 5. It says, You answer us with awesome and righteous deeds, God our Savior. 
the hope of all the ends of the earth and of the farthest seas who formed the mountains by your power, having armed yourself with strength, who stilled the roaring seas, the roaring of their waves and the turmoil of the nations. The whole earth is filled with awe at your wonders. Where morning dawns and evening fades, you call forth songs of joy. If you feel like you've lost the wonder of who God is in your life, look at Mary Magdalene. Look at the example that she sets and strive for that in your everyday life because I promise you, it's not something that just slowly dwindles away. It's a fire and you maybe have to feed it sometimes, but it's still there. So a good, a good thing that we can do today, because if you're thinking to yourself, that's all great and good, but what can I do right now? There is a great thing that we can do uh, at, at, to, to look at the wonder in our life that God has provided that we get to do together as a church, as those that have come together in awe of who Jesus is, and that is the simple act of communion. So if you have one of these uh, cool little cups... We here at Real Life, uh, we have what's called an open table. It means if you have accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior, uh, then we are, we'd love for you to join us. If you didn't grab one of these on your way in, there's a couple of awesome guys that are walking around. Just throw your hand up in the air. They would love to make sure that you get one. And I want to challenge you guys because I know at least for me, communion just becomes kind of one of those things where oh yeah, it's just the thing I pick up as I walk into church and it's the thing that lets me know that the sermon's over and then we do that and then I sing a song and then I go home. But I want to challenge you. As you take communion today, as you break the bread and you drink the juice, that you maybe take a moment, whether it's in the song afterwards or in communion itself, and try and find that wonder. Whether that means you stop and you have some extended prayer, maybe that means getting on your knees Maybe that means standing up and raising your arms as high as you can. Whatever that looks like for you, if you feel like you've lost the wonder of who God is, he hasn't gone anywhere. He's right here. So we're going to walk through this today, and I would challenge you guys to not just let this be another time where the room is filled with the crinkling of cups, which it will be here in a second. But the, the uh, communion that we go through, reading uh, out of the book of 1 Corinthians, starting in chapter 11, says... The, the Lord Jesus, on the night that he was betrayed, took bread. When he had given thanks, he broke it. He said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. This is something amazing and awe-inspiring that God came down and died for us. It fills me with wonder, and I hope that it does the same for you. And so maybe if you need to take a moment today, you can do that. If that looks like during the song, whatever that is, but... Take this today in remembrance of him, of the body that broke for him. The verse continues on, chapter 25. It says, in the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink in, remember, in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and you drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Let's do that today and be in wonder of who God is. God, we come here today, some of us braving through snow and some of us maybe just not wanting to get up early on the weekend, some of us still at home and watching in our pajamas, whatever it is, God. We come here today hoping to meet you and to find you. 
And I think of all of those worship songs that we've heard and all of those prayers that we heard inviting you into this place, which is a good thing to do, but I think that we forget sometimes that you're already here. So God, I just pray that you would remind us all that you never left. Your presence in our life never disappeared just because we stopped paying attention and the wonder that you inspire within us is still there. I'm so grateful for that because as I look at my life and all of the struggles that are in it and all of the hardships that I've over, overcome and endured, I realize that I didn't really do any of it. It's rather, it's just you holding my hand along the way. So God, today I pray that we would open our hearts and open our ears to whatever you're sharing with us to find the awe-inspiring wonder of who you are and actually live like we find you to be wonderful and beautiful and inspiring, God. I'm so grateful for who you are. I'm so thankful for what you've done. And it is in your son's name that we pray. Amen. Thanks for checking out this message from Real Life. You can find out more about us by visiting liferotp.com and connecting with us on Facebook and Instagram. Until next time, have a great week.